We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to episode 42. Hello, Seamouse girlies. Kate and I are currently experiencing the underwhelming Hurricane Henry. <laughs> okay. Baby's first hurricane. Emma and I, you know, both from the Midwest, if y'all are new here, both used to snowstorms, cold days. Did you ever have school canceled growing up for snow? Oh my God. Yeah. All the time. We would get school canceled if it was like below 20 degrees or like not like, like negative 20 degrees. Right, right, right. We didn't, we never got it canceled because there was too much snow because everyone had a snowblower. Like if you're not from the Midwest and you don't know what that is, it's like a personalized little snow machine thing um, to get rid of the snow. And so the streets were always plowed and the school buses were like, get on kids. You're going to fucking school, pack it up. But we did have the below, like whatever the, the negatives. Yeah. Cause you don't want the little kids freezing while they wait for the bus. And I remember for college, like now in New York, I mean, NYU would just be like half an inch of snow. Y'all are off. I know. I feel like everyone on the East coast really just like freaks out for no reason when it comes to any storm. And then it's like, everyone's like freaking out because it's like oh my god it's gonna be like so much snow or it's gonna be so much rain then it's like nothing <laughs> yeah it's truly I saw the videos did you see the I was on Twitter last night like late whatever the fuck monitoring it um of like the subways and the streets in Brooklyn no I haven't seen any of the videos but I'm is it just like flooded yeah as you can imagine but I'm like I remember that like a few months ago seeing videos circling around the inter internet but it's like, um, oh, our crumbling infrastructure that we put no money into because government doesn't pay for that shit. What do I like, expect? I know. Yeah. I'm like, no surprise, unfortunately. But yeah, yeah, Hurricane Henry, it's just kind of like an annoying drizzle out. I told Kate, I was like, if it's going to rain, like fucking rain, this is like annoying. Cause it's like, I can still walk in this rain, but it's not like the hokas are drenched. The hokas, like the feet are wet. The feet are stuck to the socks. <laughs> yeah. Also, it's pronounced Henri. Um, oh, yeah, it's the French, the French hurricane. How yeah, I posted on my work TikTok, like, because I had to do like hurricane prevention tips. My boss was like, basically, you are going to be rapid response to make people not freak out about it. And then all the comments are like, am I going to die? Am I going to die? And I'm like, I don't even know how to respond to this. But a lot of the comments were like, you pronounce this wrong. I'm like, shut the fuck up. I'm literally from Minnesota and I don't give a fuck. Like, sorry, I don't want to be pretentious and be like, hurricane on the knee. God, sorry. Like, let, let her, let Kate just be the classic American woman. That she Let is. me use my one brain cell and shut up. Um, but yeah, I did some doomsday grocery shopping yesterday. How about you? Yeah, I did too. I like, yeah, I did. 
I was eating arugula for dinner. I was like, oh my God, I like maybe have half a serving left of arugula. Maybe I should go out and buy more arugula so I can have it for tomorrow. Like I truly acted like I was not going to be able to go outside for a week. Yeah. And it's like, oh wait, we were also in a pandemic for a year. I forgot about that. You know, you had to kind of plan out your grocery trips and go less frequently. We've been liberated, you know, these past few months that I don't know how I forgot about what I was doing last winter. Bro, I know, right? When the grocery sometimes, like, sometimes I'm like, did that actually happen? Or was that oh, same. I'm like, did I actually wait in a line outside the grocery store? Did I actually have an N95? Like, what was I scared of people? I just remember walking outside and you were scared of people. Remember yeah. they're walking six feet apart from people? What the fuck? <laughs> that seems yeah. so distant. Yeah, I blacked that out. Um, anyway, I don't want to talk about COVID stuff anymore. Yeah, uh, fuck uh, any other fucking. exciting, any other exciting things in your life, Kate. I feel like I, Kate and I have not seen each other in real life in weeks, months. We were talking about that. We're just like, we constantly voice memo, as you guys know, the true fans know that the podcast used to be called voice memo and we kind of put two and two together. We're like, damn, I think the last time we saw each other when we tried to go out on the revels possibly. Um, that, or when I picked up my third thing of cold brew from you. Oh yeah. That was definitely the one. Yep. I remember that um but yeah we need to link for the patreon if you're if you're subscribed to the patreon the few of you that are if you're not i'll put it the link in the podcast description we, we got to give you guys we want to give you guys some premium content and emma and i would be open to doing some sort of like a mukbang video but you know we need your input on what content you would like to see delivered we tried to do a q a and then we didn't get that many questions I don't know. Do you want to see us inside a grocery store? Just like freaking out. I don't, I don't know what the girlies want. So let us know. But today's episode's about dairy. You know, we've said we've made many dairy memes. A lot of us are on the same wavelength here, but we thought we would dive into the dairy industry, specifically in the United States and just the rise of alternative milks. The, the rise of regular dairy, the fall of regular dairy, the rise of non-dairy milk. We kind of debunk some health myths. Um, yeah. Wow, we just get full sicko mode in, in big dairy. Yeah, I'm honestly shocked we haven't done a pot on dairy yet. It just hasn't come to mind that like this is a huge, huge um, trend in the economy. I've been on that nut milk wave for so long that I don't even like dairy milk isn't even on my radar I like don't even process like I don't even see it when I'm at the grocery store like I know what products do and do not have it so I don't even feel like I'm like exposed to it anymore unless I'm like accidentally eating it at a restaurant or if we get like Levon cookies are you even a CMOS girly name your top five alternative milks if you can't you're not a CMOS girly hey let's actually list off our favorite non-dairy milks I'm sure the girlies would love to know um sure okay um you want to go I don't have any that come to mind the pistachio milk from three trees is really good I've been actually really liking that the Malibu milk like flaxseed milk oh my god no it's like it's actually good but I've been making a lot of hemp milk because it's what same it's you don't have to strain it and I just always have a plethora of like hemp seeds and I'm like I don't I always forget to sprinkle them on salads I'm like this is like a good way to use them up same um the milk brand milk organics they make a pecan milk with cold brew in it it is pretty good I kind of want to buy that soon maybe um anything else I don't really have any other milks that come to mind I milkadamia people love I'm not a big macadamia milk person 
the oat milk, oat milk everyone knows we find overrated yeah y'all don't fucking drag us for oat milk like let us have one controversial take um you like the khalifa one right the oh yeah the toasted coconut almond blend um yeah she's good she has a unique flavor a nice tropical twist tropical twist i get <laughs> um yeah you know uh, i think you guys got it <laughs> we'll, we'll say that was five okay um but let's get into the shot thank you girlies for listening and let's talk all things big dairy we're driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all don't search match with indeed indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Our menstrual cycles reveal a lot about our overall health and feelings like cramps, fatigue, and mood swings could be our body's way of crying out for help. Painful periods are not normal, but now there is a convenient and holistic approach to help us find the relief we deserve. Elix is the first menstrual menstrual wellness brand to combine Chinese herbal medicine and clinical research to provide effective treatments for hormonal health. Simply take their short 10-minute health assessment and you'll receive a personalized blend of healing botanicals designed to treat your worst menstrual symptoms. Visit elixhealing.com to take their free health assessment and begin your journey to menstrual wellness. For 15% off your order of Elix Cycle Balance, make sure to use the code CMOS15 at checkout. Again, that's CMOS15 for 15% off your order of Cycle Balance at checkout. CocoKine is a beauty brand that's all about topical skincare formulas powered by research-backed ingredients. One of our favorites is the Revitalizing Eye Cream. It's an all-in-one eye cream that helps reduce the look of fine lines, dark circles, puffiness, and sagging to give the eyes a refreshed, more well-rested look. I love that it's powered by plant ingredients and even features a cooling metal applicator to help depuff as you apply it. In a consumer perception study, 92% of 91 participants reported that they experienced a visibly smoother eye area after four weeks of use. Says one customer, Vanessa, I've been holding off buying this product because I didn't think an eye cream could be so important, but this is the perfect product. It's a perfect amount of moisturizer for the eye area, and it definitely helps reduce that morning under eye puffiness. And at $18, it's a steal. You can find CocoKind online at CocoKind.com backslash CMOSGirlies. And you can also get 10% off your first online order with the code CMOSGirlies. 
Cocokine is also available in stores at Target and Whole Foods. All right, let's talk about dairy. So I don't know where you guys grew up, culturally how big dairy was. Dairy has a stranglehold on the Midwest, so I consumed a lot of dairy as a wee child. Emma? Um, yeah, I would say I consumed a decent amount of dairy. My One of my brothers actually had like a milk allergy growing up, so I was used to drinking soy milk. Like, wow. That was like the only non-dairy option back in the day. I remember always having that with like the yogurt frosted Cheerios. Um, yeah, a breakfast staple for me. So I feel like, yeah, I mean, I consumed regular amounts of dairy, but I do feel like there was a moment in time where it was strictly soy milk in the household. Interesting because I never got on the soy train. I never, I don't think I've ever consumed soy milk. Maybe if I've been at like a hotel and that's all they had, but I don't know. Um, anyways, the reason that dairy kind of has a stranglehold in the U.S. we're going to talk about, but basically the demand for dairy kind of skyrocketing became a household staple as soon as the early 1900s because of pasteurization laws. So this is what allowed for the extended shelf life of a lot of products. And it was also a lot safer of a product now that it had government regulations on it. And, you know, we talk a lot about regulation relation to supplements and we always are like, oh, supplements aren't regulated by the FDA. But obviously milk is a food, and so it is regulated by the FDA. And that's where these pasteurization laws come into play. Now, it wasn't widely available, um, like alternative plant-based milk, sorry, those were not widely available until like the 70s and 80s. And that's kind of when soy milk became a thing. If you think about counterculture, hippies, you guys get the visual of like the people that were consuming soy milk back in the day. Um, and Emma and I both read a really good book. We were going to suggest it in Geneva called Hippie Food. And they talk a lot about like your favorite. We kind of, I think we should do a whole podcast episode about it. Like I was thinking about that. Yeah. Holy counterculture and like their involvement in the whatever food industry. But, food revolution. Yeah. 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 Like the book kind of explains like the origin of like soy milk and like the origin of like the macrobiotic diet. It talks about Erewhon's early days and stuff too. It's very interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe we do that as an episode. Hippie food. But um Post-World War II, there was a decline in dairy because one, there was like this low fat diet craze, which I'm sure a lot of people's parents, like I feel like my parents were like super like low fat everything. And also there were just more options. And so on average today, Americans drink about 37% less milk than they did in the seventies, according to the USDA. And that brings us into the main, I feel like alternative milk that's taken force, which is almond milk. I don't know. You could argue that oat milk is bigger now, but this is kind of the one that started the started with soy milk, soy milk walk. So almond milk could run, we shall say. And now oat milk is sprinting. Yeah. <laughs> oat milk bee, the weirdos, um, flax milk bee jumping. <laughs> <laughs> flax milk's doing backflips. Um, but almond milk sales grew about 250% between 2011 and 2016. And that's when the milk market shrank overall by about a billion dollars. So you can see that the consumer demand there was just like pushing for alternative milk options. Yeah. And then like, I think also dairy milk slowly had like a huge rise into like the media. And I feel like everyone probably remembers staring at got milk ads while you yeah. were eating your school lunches. And we talked about this in the food marketing episode. Um, I don't remember what number that is, but you guys can find it. Um, but yeah, so the history of like the got milk campaign, because I feel like no one really knows the history, but it's like, we've all fucking seen the fucking um, billboards and whatnot, but it was created by a good Silverstein and partners for the California milk processor board, because they were looking for a creative strategy to boost sales as like the sales were declining due to the rise of like soft drink consumption. And essentially what 
um, Good Bees, Silverstein and Partners did. They have like consumers not consume milk for a week um, prior to participating in the study just to gather info on milk habits. And they really, really found this like emotional connection to like this household staple. So they really kind of took advantage of like this emotional connection. That's how they sort of marketed milk towards everyone. And then basically the Got Milk campaign became like licensed with dairy boards across the country. So like all states were able to utilize the Got Milk campaign and also just like the use of celebrities and cartoons really like, you know, the first introduction to influencers. Um, <laughs> and during this 25 year run on any given day, like 80% of US consumers came in contact with the campaign, which is like insane. And it also just like turned out record sales. And I think that's kind of how dairy still continued to have like a stronghold throughout like, you know, the early 2000s and to like, the 2010s um but I would say that you know the love for dairy is at a plateau I would say (laughs) probably uh yeah I mean the department of agriculture you know does the food pyramid and gives different recommendations that oftentimes are given to parents or schools like what to advise for either the nutrition curriculum or just for parents to shop for and I remember they're always telling kids to drink four eight ounce glasses of milk a day I mean my mom was always like you need to drink three milk, three glasses a day, whatever. But it's interesting because this gets into the health stuff where as many like many as 50 million people in the United States alone are going to be lactose intolerant. So it's weird to see that there's just like such a push on this food. And there's also different um, levels of lactose intolerance among different racial groups. So it's different, yeah, across like different racial um, and ethnicities. And yeah, it's really interesting because in earlier in 2014, this gets into the history, which we're going to get into more, the, there's this group called the U.S. Milk Processor Education Campaign. It is a USDA, so government-sponsored marketing board about like the American milk industry. They actually abandoned the Got Milk ad campaign. So they're like completely tired, sorry, they completely stopped funding this advertising campaign in 2014. So you probably have not seen that in a while. I don't know the last time I've seen the Got Milk thing. Yeah, but if you got a Got Milk t-shirt, I'm sure you can sell it for hella money on eBay if you wanted or grailed. Yeah, oh my fucking God, I would die. <laughs> um. So yeah, now like, you know, as almond milk, oat milk, Malibu, flax milk, you name your milk is now like the preferred choice among most people, I would say. Um. Like the dairy sales just like, Right now, USDA um, per capita fluid milk consumption has fallen by 40% since 1975. Um, 247 pounds per person in 1975 was like how much like each person was consuming per year. And that has like now dropped to 146 pounds per person um, as of like 2016. And so many like family dairy farms and many of the nation's largest dairy producers, such as like Dean Foods, have filed for bankruptcy. And there's like multiple factors that go into play for the dairy milk decline. And I can't, I don't think we can like necessarily just say that it's due to like the rise of alternative milk. That's obviously a factor, but there's multiple other reasons. And a lot of it has to do with like the decline in cereal consumption as consumers are starting to have a preference for a higher protein breakfast to strain away from sugary cereals. And then like just, yeah, the greater consumption of preference in like sports drinks, tea, water, coffee, et cetera, people just being more conscious of, you know, the liquids that they are consuming Again, just like the rise in non-dairy options and also the rise in price, there has been a significant increase, roughly about 16% in 2019. And I'm sure with like the current inflation, I know like food prices are rising. So dairy milk could be impacted by that. And then just like other additional reasons, such as like allergies, animal ethics, et cetera. Yeah. And some of the restraints, obviously on the rise of plant-based sources is that there's a lot of people that are allergic to soy and almonds. 
uh, a lot of people just allergic to nuts in general. And so in 2018, there was the, the statistic where almond milk actually surpassed the demand for soy milk in 2018. So it kind of created this demand in the global market for non-dairy options. And I also think too, like taste preference wise, I sh- I'm sure a lot of people prefer, I don't know, soy milk, I think has kind of a weird taste to it. So I think it could have more popularity due to that as well. And a lot of people will probably be like curious about like, well, what happened to family farming or like small dairy farmers? And what we want to support our local dairy farmer, like fuck big Oatly, like what, what's going to happen to all these small farms? The thing is, is that family farms barely, barely exist anymore due to monopolization, due to concentration in different markets, specifically in the dairy industry. It's very impossible for anyone to make a living in producing milk alone. They probably have different animals or crops that they're tending to. So we have this vision that there's like this very like old timey, like local farmer, everyone goes and gets their milk delivered in those glass bottles. That's not the case anymore in our economy. So there are going to be very a few large dairy farms, and it's going to be these factory style farms you think of operating with anything from 10,000 to 30,000 cows. And once again, it's an assured market. And it's like, there's only going to be so many people that can actually afford to uh, treat these animals ethically. When you think about like the ethics that go into a dairy farm as well, like when you are buying a product, you are, you know, kind of, I, I don't really love the phrase voting with your dollar because there are so many factors that go into who can participate in like having quote food choices. But if you are able to support your local farmer and like the milk is probably going to be a lot more expensive because they need to actually treat the animals humanely and they don't have this huge factory authorization to cut costs. So that kind of gets into this fun little history that uh, I've kind of come across in U.S. politics, specifically with lobbying. So I think a lot of people like we kind of opened up with the the, um, got milk thing as a demonstration of this, but Lobbying plays a big part into what food advertising you see, like we did the whole food advertising episode about, but the dairy industry is a particular uh, interesting one. For example, the federal government not only supports the milk and dairy industry by spending more on dairy than any other item in like the school lunch program. So when I was talking about the nutrition guidelines and thinking about what is subsidized, anytime our government pays for something, that's a choice. It is a political choice that we want to support that industry. But there's also, you know, the campaigns and advertising that go along with Big Dairy, um, which is about $4 billion in the last 10 years. And this is all through government subsidies. Subsidies basically just means like something the government is going to pay for. So big word away. Now let's get into the history. So in 2014, there were a lot of bills pushed in the U.S. House and Senate at the national level to ban the makers of plant-based products from using the terms milk, cheese, and yogurt. So when you go to the grocery store and you see 2% milk, oat milk, the government, or not the government, Republicans specifically, the Republican Party, has a lot of money from the dairy industry. And so they started promoting these bills in Congress to make sure that plant-based products are not allowed to use milk, cheese, and yogurt on their quote, like cultured cashew product or something like that. Um, And then when you go, there's, so if you live in the United States and you want to look more into lobbying, a really good resource is this website called Open Secrets. So I won't get too much into campaign finance, but there are some things that you, if you are a politician running for office, you do have to disclose. You do have to disclose some of your donors, but there's a lot of 
um, kind of holes in campaign finance law where people can like do something called dark money. These are different campaign disclosures that it's a lot of secret money. And so let's say you're going to look at like Ted Cruz, for example, a perfect example. Look at where he gets his money to fund his campaigns to run for re-election. This website, Open Secrets, breaks it down that like Bill Johnson in the state of Texas might have donated $5 to Ted Cruz. You have to disclose that. But there's some other stuff if they're hidden behind things like super PACs and PACs and 501c4s, really fancy groups. And that's how these politicians kind of get away with having like the dairy industry support them. Whenever you hear like this politician is supported by big dairy, it's because the dairy industry can hide behind these shady groups. And they're often called like dairy for America or something weird like that. You don't really understand like what the group is formed, like where even the group is in the United States. Um, so that's like just a similar trend that the industry has backed a lot of these bills and sometimes they create something called model legislation as well. Um, there's this one group on the conservative side called the American Legal Exchange Council or ALEC, and they actually write out bills, give them to Congress people, and they want the Congress people to pass them. And so they've done like analysis. If you look into ALEC, I can recommend some books in Geneva if anyone wants to hear more about this. They give books or these give they give these bill um, templates basically to politicians across the United States. And so when you go and analyze like a Texas bill versus a Minnesota bill, they're exactly the same. The text is 100% the same and it's like given to them by the industry. So that's just something industry interesting about politics. This plays definitely into the dairy industry. Um, so speaking back to this like banning of term of plant-based products using the word milk, in 2016, dairy lobbyists persuaded about 32 legislatures to demand the FDA acts on, quote, what they call imitation milk products. So these are going to be your non-dairy options. And there's a lot of like pre-existing initiatives that were already happening. They wanted to create logos that would go on non-dairy options um, to make sure that consumers are aware that they're purchasing something that isn't dairy. I'm going to get more into this later. Um, 2017, so a lot of you guys probably know the company Miyoko's. They make cheese and cultured products. So they produce dairy-free cheeses. And because they found that there was this whole pushback from industry and like the FDA regulations were kind of confusing, they changed their products to be called cultured nut products instead of like a cultured cheese because they didn't want like the industry to attack them. And they also were just kind of like wanted to give consumers a really accurate description of what their product was. And another side point, um, this is not just me shitting on conservatives, but like in 2017, Senator Tammy Baldwin of Wisconsin, who is an extremely progressive senator, she actually introduced the Dairy Pride Act. And this was kind of the same thing about like protecting small dairy farmers, making sure that plant-based alternatives have some sort of distinction and labeling. So it just proves that a lot of these laws are not actually based on political ideology, but it's based a lot on what industry is prominent in the home state senator. So a lot of Midwestern senators that are Democratic support these, like will cross the political aisle and sign onto these bills with conservatives because they know that like a lot of their constituents in Minnesota or Wisconsin or Iowa or Nebraska rely on the dairy industry. So that's just another point. Um, this one quote I found was hilarious. So in 2018, so this will be in the Trump era, uh, the FDA administer or Commissioner Scott Gottlieb, who like runs this part of the FDA, he was speaking at a summit about like all these non-dairy laws that were happening and like it was an agriculture panel and he goes, an almond doesn't lactate, I will confess, um, which is funny because he was getting all this like pushback about like, why are you supporting the almond farmers of America, whatever the fuck. 
But when you look at the money that's in the cattle industry and plant-based milk industry, I know we said that there is this rise of the plant-based milk alternatives, but there's about $35 billion in the cattle milk industry versus $1.6 billion in plant milk industry. So it's still pretty unequal. Um, But in 2018, there was this uh, court decision and it said that almond milk labeling is not deceptive at the Ninth Circuit, which basically means that like all these conservatives have been trying to claim that consumers are being deceived that they're now not buying dairy options. When most people, you go to the grocery store, you are not confused. You are seeking out something that is not dairy. You're not being confused that your oats are coming from a cow. So basically, like the court said, well, the plaintiff in the case, uh, Cynthia Painter, she said the product should be labeled imitation milk, but because they're nutritionally inferior to it. But the appeals court was like a reasonable consumer would not assume that these are going to be the exact same product if it's not made from dairy. Um, Fast forward to 2020, a lot of states are still passing these laws that it, should, it needs to meet the definition of milk. It's not the same nutrition. Fuck plant-based alternatives. And yeah, in 2021, actually recently, this Dairy Pride Act was introduced in the Senate to require things to not be labeled as dairy. And yeah, the criticism is that it's not technically milk and soy milk is the only dairy alternative that has a similar protein profile to traditional milk. There is one new kind of startup milk company called Ripple, if anyone's taken it, it's based off pea protein. So that's like, they're trying to kind of fill the gap where they have a similar protein and nutritional component to dairy milk or cow's milk. Um, But yeah, overall, it's like very confusing to me because one, as I said before, like conservatives, they don't want almond milk to be called milk, but consumers are not being confused that this is not milk. Like they're not deceived that, oh shit, like I bought cashew milk and it's not actually from a cow. What the fuck? So it's not actually going to be like a consumer safety issue. Consumers are actively seeking out alternatives. And it also was an anti-competitive bill and unconstitutional. So when you look at different, um, I won't get too much into this, but Corporate free speech is not going to be the same as individual free speech. So like I could go and slander one of culture if I wanted to, but if a company did that, it's very different. So the government has to require a compelling argument if it plans to infringe on corporate speech. So like if the government wants to say that Miyoko's, you have to call your stuff cultured nut cheeses, I think that's what they call them now. Um, they need a compelling argument on why. And for me, I don't think it's compelling enough to say that consumers are being confused. They're now buying cashew cheese. Um, so it's interesting. We'll see where this goes. I mean, as we've been saying before, like the demand for plant-based milks is there, but who knows what um, Congress will do. They probably won't do anything because this is such a low ball issue. Well, I was going to say, it's just like crazy that there's even like this much drama and like time spent on this issue anyway, because there is such a big gap between like how much money is in the dairy industry as opposed to like the non-dairy milk, like 35.5 billion versus 1.6 billion, like babes, there's really like, there's not that much competition. Like the two can just like exist, be mutuals, be cordial, like people can choose their milks, but you don't need to fight. I know. Yeah. It is really strange. Like you said that this is a fucking issue. And I think it is a lot of, a lot of issues are like riled up around like the culture war, right? Like it's a lot more difficult to be like, let's talk about like childhood poverty or something like that. No, let's talk about oat milk. Like it's so easy for politicians to like go on and like fucking talk about and solve this issue that they think is like so pressing. Um, And it plays into a larger thing with conservatives pushing back on this idea of like limousine liberals if you've ever heard that term or like latte drinking liberals that like oh you guys are all just like buying avocado toast and you're not buying stocks 
Um, so it, it follows trend of like historical arguments there. But now we're going to get into the health stuff. You know, we are a, a wellness god podcast because a lot of people are probably curious, like, is milk actually good for you? Like, do I need four glasses a day? So yeah, we'll come back and we'll do that. You know, Emma and I can't shut up about starting your day with the perfect oatmeal toppings. And you're probably thinking, what could be better than securing a bag of maca powder or matching with a boy who actually knows what adaptogens are? Um, hello, a large and juicy medjool date. That's why we're so excited to tell you about today's sponsor, Julie's. Julie's is a pantry staple for all the wellness gods. Their hand-picked medjool dates from Coachella Valley, California are certified USDA organic, naturally vegan, and free of all allergens. There is no better way to snack on Jolie's than with your favorite nut butter or on a bowl of oats. And Jolie's even has a date syrup to drizzle on a stack of pancakes. So if you want to taste some Jolie's for yourself, definitely use code CMOSGIRLIES for 15% off your first order. Now back to the show. Hey girlies, this wouldn't be a podcast called What the Fuck is CMOS without us having a CMOS sponsor. So it's time to learn what the fuck even is CMOS thanks to our newest sponsor, 26th in Love. CMOS contains 90% of the minerals that the body needs. Some even call it nature's multivitamin. Crazy, huh? Here's just a preview at some of its benefits. Are you struggling with gut health? CMOS. Struggling with inflammation? CMOS. Struggling with adrenal fatigue? CMOS. Struggling with constipation? CMOS. You can use the code CMOS girlies for 10% off CMOS gel from 26 and love. Time to become a wellness god. Okay, hello CMOS girlies. This is like part or like take three of us trying to record the segment, but here we go. Here we go. We're going to get into the health stuff because we all know that this is what you guys are all here for as we are a health wellness alternative health podcast. You pick your word. Um, but I think just like a little like, you know, disclaimer or whatever, like if you drink milk, it's fine. I don't care what you consume. This isn't us like demonizing people who consume dairy. Cause I know it's like a very like common thing to consume in like certain, um, you know, cuisines and regions and part of the world. Um, so first we're going to kind of get into like the difference between a milk allergy and lactose intolerance, because they both mean completely different things. And I feel like they're definitely have argues interchangeably among the general public. And I think a lot of people our age are always like, I'm lactose intolerant. Um, and use that as like a reason to like not consume dairy, which is obviously like a legitimate reason, but so lactose intolerance is going to involve the digestive system and about like 70% of like the general public have a lactose malabsorption, which is, and it's going to be commonly present in adults and people in Southeast Asia, East Asia, West Africa, Italian, Native American ancestry are going to be more likely to be lactose intolerant. Kate touched on this earlier on in the podcast, and it's because they carry a gene mutation that causes this lactose intolerance. And with lactose intolerance, basically your body just does not make lactase, which is the enzyme needed to digest lactose. And lactase is produced by the cells in the lining of our small intestine. And for those who like don't know what lactose is, it's just like the sugar present in milk. And so in a normal functioning body, uh, lactose gets digested through the small intestine and stomach, just like, you know, how your body breaks down bread. But with lactose intolerance is this like undigested lactose will move through the colon where it's broken down by bacteria and then will cause symptoms such as like bloating and gas. That's why you'll experience a lot of discomfort if you do accidentally consume dairy. Now there are ways to kind of mitigate and reduce these symptoms such as taking a lactase enzyme supplement because that'll just like help your body and getting some lactase in its body. And as we age, actually, we are more likely to become lactose intolerant as our bodies begin to produce less and less lactase over time. So that's why probably a lot of us were able to consume large amounts of dairy growing up 
But then as we get older, a lot of us are like, oh, wow, my body actually cannot handle dairy as much as I used to. And yeah, so that is like lactose intolerance. Now with a dairy allergy, this is going to involve the immune system. And it's actually like the most common food allergy in children, but many outgrow it. My, one of my brothers actually had a milk allergy. So like I said, growing up, we always had soy milk in our house because he couldn't consume dairy. And it's with a dairy allergy, it's your body's reaction to the proteins, which is casein and whey. And this is like all again, found in like milk and other dairy based products. And you're basically like the body just use them as dangerous invaders. And if you are to consume dairy, when you do have a dairy allergy, your body will release substances such as like histamine, which will cause allergic symptoms, which can range from like rashes, diarrhea, and have trouble breathing. And with the dairy allergy, this is going to be like definitely much more harmful and dangerous as opposed to like a lactose intolerance. If you're lactose intolerant, like you're not going to fucking die. If you consume dairy, you're just going to like, you know, experience IBS. But if you have a dairy allergy, like you could actually experience like life-threatening symptoms. And so with this, it's like best just to kind of avoid dairy at all costs. And that doesn't just like, you know, that's like milk, cheese, et cetera. Um, next it gets into calcium because I think like this is always shoved down your throats as like a child, young adult that like you need to drink like milk for like healthy bones. But there's actually been like a lot of, I think like kind of like research, or I feel like from like the vegan community, that's like actually calcium, like, you know, if you drink milk, like calcium actually isn't like good for your bones, et cetera. Um, so calcium is associated with healthy bones and teeth and 99% of the calcium in our body is going to be stored in our bones. The other percent, other 1% is found in blood, muscles, and other tissues. And in order for us to obtain calcium, we can get it through food and supplements. But if you don't eat enough calcium rich foods, then your body will remove it from your bones. And this is where you can get into dangerous territory because a long-term calcium deficiency can lead to osteopenia, which is like the early stage of bone loss. And then osteoporosis will follow that. Kate and I have talked a lot about this, but like the dangers if you lose your period for a long amount of time. And since most of our listeners are probably going to be like, you know, woman for the most part, um, the recommended dietary allowance is obviously going to vary by like age and gender, but for women who are about like 19 to 50 years old, you're going to require at least a thousand milligrams. And again, like that's just like a baseline. You can obviously consume more. You're not going to die if you consume less, but obviously again, it's going to vary based on each individual and our lifestyles. And calcium is widely available in many foods, not just dairy products. So like, don't think that like, I can only obtain calcium through cow's milk. It can be found like fortified fine dairy milk, winter squash, edamame, tofu made with calcium sulfate, almonds, leafy greens, et cetera. Yeah. And that kind of ties into, I think the episode we did about vitamin C, y'all can go back and find that once again, might be like episode 22 or something. Cause we were talking about like the COVID vaccine and like the increase in people, you know, seeking out foods that only had vitamin C, only had zinc, only had iron. And I just think like, it's kind of bonkers to go down that health line rabbit hole of like, I'm going to only eat foods that are good for iron. It's like, you can't isolate nutrients. And I think that's the most important thing with calcium specifically. Like why are you focusing on like, I'm your only health concern can't be calcium because then you're going to be neglecting other things. So it's like the whole propaganda that like milk is the only way to get your calcium is just like, anytime you hear that, I think about any nutrient, it's a little bit crazy. Yeah. And I think like, as like most people probably know, one thing that I focus on is just like the way to have like a healthy diet is like having a diverse and diet abundant, that's abundant in multiple different like foods. So you're obtaining um, nutrients from many different sources. And this kind of gets into calcium bioavailability, which I found so interesting when I was doing research for this podcast. Um, so calcium is like a large mineral, but it's not easily broken down in the gut. And so 
the amount of calcium that you will see on a nutrition label is the measure of calcium in the food, but not necessarily the amount that you will absorb um, as calcium bioavailability is the amount that your body will actually absorb. So the bioavailability of dairy is only 30% absorption. So if you're looking at like a dairy milk label, the label might say 300 milligrams, you're actually only going to absorb hundred milligrams of that. And what's interesting is that like, you know, there's so many other foods that do contain calcium. So leafy greens, they contain less calcium, but have a higher bioavailability, bioavailability than dairy. So like example of, you know, a cup of cooked bok choy, for example, is going to have 160 milligrams of uh, calcium, but has a bioavailability of 50%. So you're actually going to absorb 80 milligrams. So you can honestly actually end up getting roughly about the same amount of calcium from bok choy as you would from a glass of dairy milk. And many of the studies that boast like calcium and milk are obviously going to be mostly funded by the dairy industry, as Kate talked about with like lobbying. And there's like other, you know, calcium fortified orange juice and tofu have similar bioavailability of dairy and like almonds have 20%, 20%. So I think like, if you're someone who is like vegan or vegetarian and like, you definitely do not con or consume any sort of like dairy products, this is like a good guide. And really for anyone to kind of like research, like the bioavailability of like calcium. So you can actually ensure that you're getting a good amount from just like the foods you're consuming. And then this kind of gets then into like fractures and dairy milk consumption, because I think there's a common belief that consuming like large amounts of dairy milk will reduce the risk of bone and hip fractures, but actually the rate of fractures is highest in milk drinking countries. And there's been some large scale studies done by Harvard where they, you know, studied 72,000 women for two decades and found no evidence of milk consumption can prevent bone fractures or osteoporosis. And then also like the Swedish research team, they followed thousands of men and women for 20 years. And they're they found that there are significantly more bones slash hip fractures in women when they were drinking three glasses a day. And for men, they did not see a higher risk. Now, obviously, I think there needs to be like a large scale randomized and controlled study to show how like the effects of dairy can actually dairy intake can actually impact fractures as there could be like so many other factors in play with these studies, such as like genetic and lifestyle. Um, but really like the most best way to really support and have healthy bones is going to be through like lifelong exercise, such as like weight bearing, weightlifting, jumping, and vitamin D, which you can get from sunshine and supplementation. Mm -hmm. And then I think a lot of things that people freak out about, especially like, you know, vegan vegetarian communities is like, you know, growth hormones and antibiotics, which are legitimate fears. Um, so estrogen, progesterone, prolactin, and androgens are hormones that are present in milk and dairy. And there is like a natural occurring growth hormone called bovine growth hormone, or it's called BGH or BST. These are naturally produced in the pituitary gland, which leads to the production of milk. And so it is going to be present in milk. Now there are going to be some milk options on the market that contain RBGH or RBST, which is the synthetic recombinant bovine growth hormone, which gives cows the ability to produce even more milk. And according to the World Health Organization and FDA, artificial growth hormones are considered safe for the most part, as we don't really actually absorb it. And what is not inactivated during pasteurization is just broken down through the digestive system. And the total amount of, of um, like the natural occurring bovine growth hormone, um, or no, the total amount of, yeah, the growth hormone in added or non-added milk is relatively the same. 
And most of the milks on the market really do not contain any of these um, synthetic growth hormones just because of the consumer demand through health worry and concern. And so, yeah, so most processors are not going to be using RBST treated cows. But if you do drink dairy milk and you are fearful that a lot of milk will state like this is like not treated with RBST. And the possibility that like there is like a possibility that like synthetic synthetic growth hormones can increase production of hormones such as like the insulin like growth factor. And this is like known to be associated with the risk of cancer in the colon or like pancreas cancer. And then like with estrogen and progesterone is higher in commercial dairy milk as, you know, dairy cows are constantly getting pregnant right after getting, giving birth. And this has led to like a common fear of like early puberty and cancer and like children, but there's really no definitive proof for early puberty as there are other additional factors such as like obesity, lack of exercise, consumption of processed foods. So you can't really isolate and just be like, you know, drinking dairy milk is going to cause like early puberty. And there's also just like very limited research on dairy milk and cancer. So I think there's like, it's too early to really tell if like, these are like legitimate fears. Um, and then lastly, this gets into antibiotics in dairy and they are going to be commonly found in concentrated animal feeding operations. So CAFOs and use of antibiotics for non-therapeutic purposes has led to the development of antibiotic resistance bacteria. And a lot of like the residues of antibiotics can be found in milk due to uh, constant usage of treating infectious disease and growth promotion. And also just like use of additives and feed. And the most common, again, like growth hormone is going to be that RBGH to increase milk production. And there is actually like a lot of regulation again with dairy milk since it is a food product. And so like the FDA has like a tight, you know, they are constantly testing for this. And so if a milk shipment is tested for any of the six most widely used antibiotics and they test positive, the entire truckload is rejected. So there's really not much of an incentive really for milk producers to utilize antibiotics because then it's like if it does get tested positive that's like a huge loss of money on their end and so if farmers do use antibiotics they will actually just discard the milk for multiple days until the residues disappear so that's like a huge waste of milk right there anyway so really you're only it's only going to be found in yeah kind of like mass production um yeah milk operations but yeah, so those are just like, that's like the general overview of health. I think, you know, if you drink milk, obviously like it's best to buy local, but like, as Kate said, it's going to be very expensive, but you can look out for certain labels to know that like, you know, the cows were treated humanely, et cetera, or you can just get your non-dairy milk. Yeah. And like Emma was saying, I think this differs whenever we do episodes about supplements because supplements, there's no regulation around it. So if there is a cost incentive to put random fillers and shit in a supplement thing you can bet your dollar that all these supplement companies are going to do it but since there are stringent regulations it's like why would you spend all this money to go make a product that you know the fda is going to reject and so that kind of brings into the scene like non-dairy options like the more and more money that goes into non-dairy attention in the market like this is just like basic capitalism unfortunately like if demand goes up like their world needs to be more supply for that and that i think has been proven through the visibility at supermarkets at least like you'll definitely see an, an entire dedication on the shelf to non-dairy alternatives so it's a lot more accessible a lot more proximate easy to navigate for consumers versus like driving consumers to go to these weird health stores to get their hemp milk now they are available at 
you know, places like Target, even I feel like if you were on a road trip at a gas station, don't quote me on this, maybe not, but I do feel like you probably could get some silk almond milk or something like that. So that's one thing that is a trend that will probably continue. Who knows what's going to happen with big dairy and how that will play. Um, And I think it's also too, we were talking in the U.S. context, it's very different in different countries, also with cultural, um, I think, importance and significance of dairies and cows specifically. And in Asia, I know that the market is increasing rapidly of non-dairy consumption just because there are a lot of uh, cases of lactose intolerance and there are a lot of like cow milk allergies as well. But this kind of ties into the last like broader concept that I wanted to touch on, which is sustainability. Um, you know, there's always some fucker in our meme comments whenever we do something about almond milk and people are like, did you know almond milk is actually not sustainable? Yeah, I fucking did, Chad. I actually do <laughs> know that. Like, I've not been not new on the scene. I don't have a meme page for nothing. I fucking know that. Um, and so that's a, p- a point you often hear about that, like, oh, these vegan alternatives c- consume so much water, like the carbon footprint is equivalent to the uh, more mainstream Western option. And that kind of gets into like, yes, almond milk has huge water usage. And there was this article I was reading about recently is that climate change in California is going to be threatening the world's top almond producer. And it's due to the deepening droughts in the city. And it's one of the state's most profitable crops. And so the California billion or the California almond industry is valued at about $6 billion and it produces about 80% of the world's almonds. And so this just ties into a lot of quote, like sustainable alternatives and just any food. How is this going to fare with the future of climate change? There's a book I really want to read. I think it's called like food in a warming world or something like that. And it discusses like really important crops in our economy and how they're going to change. I know things like coffee and chocolate, the price of them are going to be increasingly rapid or increasing rapidly increasing due to climate change so that's like another maybe food climate change thing we could do like what can you expect as consumer um but back to the point about like climate change and how that intersects with the food industry we often hear yeah big ag is bad dairy is bad meat and dairy together use about 83 percent of the world's farmland um and produce about 60 percent of agriculture's greenhouse gas emissions while they only supply about 18 percent of calories 37% of protein consumed by humans. So when you think about that, like in the early 90s, when there was this push for uh, GMOs, there's a, I've read a good book about GMOs as well, and kind of why they were pushed. A lot of it was to alleviate poverty, but it didn't tackle also the compounding issue of alleviating malnutrition, right? Like if you're giving quote, junk calories from highly processed foods uh, the nutrition profile is not good. And that's kind of the same with meat and dairy. Like if you're taking up this much farmland and only supplying 18% of the calories worldwide, there has to be better alternatives in our food system that can do the same job. And so they've studied that even the most sustainable meat and dairy operations on like large scale uh, factory farms have a bigger environmental impact than the least sustainable vegetable and cereal, op- cereal operations. So I'm not saying like on a health perspective that cereal and dairy are equivalent or vegetables and meat are equivalent, but from a sustainability perspective, like meat and dairy are still extremely bad for the climate. And there's also studies uh, being shown about how wildfire smoke and excessive heat are impacting dairy cows. They did this preliminary study and they showed that there's a higher incidence of disease of like utter infections and a significant dip of milk production um, based on this heat and this wildfire smoke. And so that's one, I think, trend that we don't really know with climate change is like how that's going to impact our food supply. And like one thing I often think about is like 
is it more sustainable to go to your farmer market and get dairy there or to get almond milk from Trader Joe's? And like, we know that food miles. So when you think about the transportation costs of how it, how much like one, let's say an apple, actually let's keep it in the milk context, a jar of almond milk from Trader Joe's $4.99 or some shit like that. The transportation costs for it to get to you, that is not going to be equivalent to the cost of like maintaining a factory farm thing. Um, but at the same time, like when you think about personal ethics and just like what you're financially comfortable with too, I think it's like, yeah, a questionable area. No, totally. And I think also, yeah, I mean, I make my own milk and I don't really buy almond milk anyway, anymore. Just I'm like, I do kind of feel bad that like it does require so much water, but yeah, I think kind of getting into like what's better local farmer versus almond milk. Like you can definitely just kind of get into this spiral of like, oh, like the almond milk from Trader Joe's, are they organic almonds? Like, is there like good land management of like where the almonds are getting raised? Like getting raised, Jesus Christ. (laughs) Almonds are not. uh, Are the tits of the almond being like. And also just like thinking about like the people that are working like on those like almond farms, like are they just like a bunch of immigrants who are getting paid like jack shit? Like, am I just actually better off going to the farmer's market spending, I don't know, I'm throwing out a number, like $14 on a gallon of local milk from like a farmer who, you know, actually cares about the cattle, maybe is doing it in a regenerative agricultural way. Um, So, I mean, yeah, it's really, you can get super caught up in all these scenarios and what, you know, is better or not. And I also think too, a lot of people that listen to this podcast, I'm imagining that you're probably spending your own money on groceries. You don't have a salary. You're not like, you definitely don't have a double salary unless some of you are all married, congrats. But you, this is why I just like entirely dismiss the property of, not the property, but the idea of voting with your dollar. Now I'm not fucking doing Shein hauls like, or going to Zara, whatever. But voting with your dollar is not equal. We're not on equal footing to make the same financial choices. And I think that's just something that has been so misaligned from specifically, like this relates a lot to climate stuff. Um, BP oil has like coined the term of like your carbon footprint and it like individualizes this blame onto us as consumers to do the right thing, to vote with our dollars, to make very passive thing changes quote, like I'm doing good on like supporting this company versus this company. At the mean, t- at the same time, if we were to divest from fossil fuels in our economy entirely, none of us would have to be worrying about like where a few extra pennies went at the extra, the end of the month. And so this is like, I think my, I feel like outro of this episode is that if you are curious about anything we said in this conversation about how food impacts climate change, about like this last question we kind of said, like, is it more better, quote, like sustainable, more ethical to shop local or to go to Trader Joe's? If you're interested in that question, like just pat yourself on the back because there's many of people who do not give a fuck at all. They don't give a fuck about the planet that it's dying. They don't give a fuck about where their food is coming from. If anyone is paid a fair wage, if you are wrestling with any sort of climate induced anxiety, like welcome, I'm happy you're here because it is absurd to me that some people don't give a fuck. And that's one thing that I think keeps me grounded. Like yesterday I had to do all this like reporting and work on like Hurricane Henry. And I felt just like, the deepest of climate anxiety, where I was like, why am I studying for the LSAT if we're all going to fucking die? Why am I doing this? And, you know, we're not going to all die at the same time. I'm aware of the different, like, um, socioeconomic and racial disparities produced by climate change. And climate change is already here. It's already happening. But I just think, like, if you are concerned with this, like, welcome. I'm happy to have you. And, like, climate change is such a pressing issue that we're all going to have to resolve it like together. And that's like, we're not going to all quit our jobs, become fucking climate scientists tomorrow, because then 
who would be making the almond milk, right? Like you all just, you have to think about where your passions lie and how you can make tweaks there to affect climate change. And like, maybe the tweak for you is not going and buying like local milk and breaking the bank on that. But maybe it is like some sort of volunteer work or advocacy work, or maybe you are now taking public transportation versus, I don't know, taking a car or carpooling or something like that. So, yeah. And I think to piggyback up, I mean, yeah, I completely agree. And I think like, you know, not putting pressure to be perfect in every aspect of your life. Like I know for me, like I still purchase like stuff that comes in plastic, but you know, I also go to the bulk area to go and get like, you know, I was going to say beans, but I don't really eat beans anymore, but like my, my cashews or my hazelnuts. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, you have to kind of pick and choose because there's really no way to be like, quote unquote, like a hundred percent, like, you know, ethical, sustainable, environmental friendly. And like, I think like the whole, like, you know, zero waste is like, not like, not it. Yeah, it's well, it's not even like attainable for like half of us. Like it's well, also too, like that comes with it. Totally. And also like the most sustainable way I just think personally that you can care for the planet is probably to engage with your community. It's not these individual isolated acts of self-care that like we find to be so high and mighty that like, oh yes, I'm like virtue signaling by like where my clothing is from or like by my fucking mason jar that like I am the most sustainable. Like a lot of white people, specifically in Western countries, put this burden. And I had it for myself that like, I'm going to change the world through my individual action. It's like, no, you are not. You are not. Like, get your fucking ego out of the situation that like, this is a bigger system than you. And I'm not saying abdicate your responsibility and just go do a she and haul tomorrow. But like, when you're getting to these nitty gritty decisions, like people that do not have the financial capacity to even think about making these decisions are not going to make them. And so, yeah, like I was saying, thinking about ways that make sense to you to like navigate your choices and then other ways that, you know, don't make sense for you. Um, yeah, I was like, what the fuck was this podcast even about? It was about dairy. Big dairy Um, got into, yeah, bigger, bigger topics. Yeah. Um, Like this hurricane is happening and, you know, probably don't go and support Grubhub today or one of those like delivery sites. And I think that's like, I, with every single podcast episode, I kind of realized that like everything's so intertwined, like everything is so intertwined. Like you can't really think about the food system without thinking about, yeah, like the environment, human rights, et cetera. Um, it's definitely a much more complicated industry and system than we really think. But I think, you know, when you're just going to the grocery store, getting your tomatoes, it's like easy to just think like, that's the extent of it, but there's so much behind the scenes. And also when we do these episodes too, like it does help me get out of like, quote, like eating disorder mindset. I think too, like when you're thinking about the fact that you even have the choice to decide if you're going to buy this milk or this milk and like you're assessing the calories and like how much fat is in different stuff. And I know like we all, I feel like if you've ever had any sort of eating disorder, like the visual mindset of calories are always in the back of your head, whether or not you want to like believe it. So if you're like, oh, I want to buy the coconut milk, but it's like higher in fat or something, or like, let's say you have some weird thought about like another food. If you have the privilege to have that thought, like that's just another point that I think has really helped me through my eating disorder is like thinking about like, wow, I have the privilege to think about if I'm eating too much today. And a lot of people don't even have the privilege to have food, right? Or it's like having no choice when you go to the food bank. It's like whatever they give you is like what you're going to consume. Right. Like, oh, you didn't get to have your like special non-dairy milk today. Like, woo, like so sorry for you. And once again, it's not healthy to live in this place of like, you can't feel your own pain because it is all relative. But at the same time, like, I think it is good to have that perspective. It helped me a lot with thinking about eating disorder and just like, damn, I feel so selfish that I'm worried about like this when there's other stuff I could be attending my time to, to like bigger order purposes out there. So. 
hope that inspires the CMOS girlies. Um, drink your non-dairy milk, but also, um, you know, think about other ways you can impact change, I guess. Amen. Amen. Amen to that. Um, How are you going to spend the rest of your hurricane, Emma? <laughs> I am going to do some Pilates after this because I need to move the body, but I don't want to have wet feet again. <laughs> um, I bought black rice yesterday, so maybe I'll make some rice tonight question mark that is for debate I don't know what else I'll do maybe read I'm reading milk fed by Melissa Broder right now um I if you want to read it you could it's a good book but it can be triggering for some people I think yeah um but I enjoy her and I'm able to like separate um some of the stuff that she says in the book but yeah so maybe I'll continue reading that easy read what about you? You're doing the the big old LSAT. Yeah, I'm, I'm unfortunately am. Uh, I still have to, it's like stupid. You have to buy practice exams. I'm like, oh, I got to pay $10 to have anxiety, but I just need to rip off the fucking bandaid. Um, I jump roped earlier today, but I like kind of cut it short because I wanted to pod. So maybe I'll do that before dinner and whatever the fuck. I'm going to like make some sort of a snack now and then get into my study zone. But Hell yeah, yeah, I have a lot of the Kite Hill cheeses. Um, also, wait, funny note, I kind of want the Geneva girls to know this. I didn't even tell Emma this. So there was this one man that was pestering me in my DMs. And he was like, he just literally DM'd me and was like, hey, you're hot. And like, I responded. So I thought it was funny. And I was like, thanks. And then I like said his username. And, you know, he's on private. His profile photo, I can barely see. And he was like, want to go out? And I was like, literally have no idea who you are. Like, I can't even snoop on your fucking profile, man. Mm-hmm. And he kept hitting me up. And I like just would delete his messages because I'm like, I don't know who the fuck this is he responded to my, I've posted like, thank you Kite Hill because they were like kind enough to send me stuff. And I just feel like it was like, oh my God, this is like very rare that I would get like food PR. And I was like, this is cute. And I'd like them. He responded. He goes, why don't you send all that food to a food bank? Influencers don't deserve rights. Meanwhile, all the other DMs were like, I want to bang you like all this stuff. And it just, just like crazy that men go from like, I really like could I really want you and now I just like hope the worst on you it was like a crazy 180 that happened yesterday that is that is insane that is intense like I didn't I didn't even read the dm but I just like read the history of it and then I was like wow crazy well you know what you deserve to enjoy your kite hill ravioli in peace without (laughs) a man judging the shit out of you I know I was like excuse me man I didn't fucking ask first of all but yeah um Hope the CMOS girlies are doing well. Um, you'll see some announcements in the room by that point. We'll probably start the college room because we know that we've got a lot of requests for that in Geneva. Yeah. And some other fun things. Some other fun things in the works. There's always fun things in the works. Again, no more merch. So shut your mouth. <laughs> <laughs> Every day, Evan, I die when we see a new DM about that. Uh, okay. Um, I'll leave you to your Pilates. Um, lovely to pod with you as always. As always, I wouldn't want to spend Hurricane Henry doing anything else. Personally with anyone else. <laughs> okay, I'll talk okay. to you later, brother. Bye. Bye, Seamus Girlies. Bye, Kate. Bye. Bye.